0: a seat. Thank you so much for being here. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. We're going to start a new series after Labor Day, working our way through 1 John, a little book towards the end. We'll start after Labor Day and we'll finish the week before Christmas. But we have a couple of weeks here, so I wanted to spend them As introduction, getting to know John, the author of that epistle, just a little bit. So that's why we're in 1st John, or John chapter 21. John chapter 21. I don't normally title my messages, but if I was going to give a title, I would give the title, What About Them Today? What About Them? John chapter 21, verse 1. It says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again, to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberius, and he revealed himself in this way now he 's getting ready to tell a story about what happened after Jesus was resurrected. Jesus was resurrected, he made some appearances to the disciples, and he says to them, uh, "Go to Galilee and so at least seven of the disciples make the few day journey uh, up to Galilee and they don't know what to do because they're in this weird time of where they know that Jesus is alive but they don't 100% know what that means and so they just go back to their day job and they were fishermen before they met Jesus and so they're they're thinking we're going to be fishermen afterwards and so they're fishing and Jesus appears on the shore And they start bringing the boat in. Now you remember Peter. Uh, Peter had denied Jesus three times. And he sees Jesus and he needs some redemption. And his passion for Jesus and commitment overflows. He jumps out of the boat and swims to the shore. Because he can't wait for the boat to get in. That's how much he wants that redemption with Jesus. Now skip down to verse 15. They have breakfast. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter... Simon son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time. Now Peter denied Jesus three times. Three times Jesus is asking Peter this question, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Verse 18 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. So Jesus is restoring Peter's identity as a disciple. He's handing him a ministry, and he's telling Peter, this is what's going to happen to you. As one commentator said, Jesus is saying to Peter, you're going to honor me in the fact that you are going to die in the same way that I died. Now, it was vague. He didn't get step one, step two, step three, but his path had been laid out before him. In verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. that disciple whom Jesus loved, that was John, the one who wrote this gospel, the one who wrote 1 John, which we'll look at in a few weeks. He never refers to himself by his own name in this gospel, only as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper, and he said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, that's John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So Jesus restores Peter's identity as a disciple. Peter had been the lead disciple. He, he had been the most vocal. He had been the most passionate. He was the one who first confessed that Jesus was the Christ. But when he denied Jesus three times, that was his opportunity to stand with Jesus, heart and soul. I'm with you all the way. And he didn't. He, he said, I don't even know who Jesus is. I, I promise I've never met this man. Three times he denied Jesus. And now Peter doesn't know who he is. He knows Jesus is alive, but he doesn't know who he is anymore. What's his standing? So Jesus is rebuilding his identity, and he's handing him his ministry, his calling, his life's pursuit. But what's the obstacle? The obstacle is, well, yeah, but what about that guy? What about them? What are you going to do with him? He begins to compare the path that Jesus has laid out for him and the path that Jesus has laid out for John. Comparison is a thief isn't it? It's good at stealing everything that's important to us. A couple of months ago, I, I got a, a new truck or at least new to me Um, I'd always wanted a truck because I'm not a a natural born Texan. And I know that you're a second class citizen here in Texas. If you weren't born in Texas, you people make that abundantly clear. And so (laughs) I I felt like getting a truck would be a way for me to be fully incorporated into the body of Texas. And so uh, I I wanted a truck uh, a few years ago, probably seven or eight years ago. and, And somebody in my house, I'm not saying who, said to me, you're not really a truck kind of person. Which what I heard was that person saying to me, you're not a boy, but you're not a man either. You're like this boy man. So for seven years, I have worked up enough masculinity to finally purchase a truck. And, and we had to go get a, a new car. The SUV that I was driving had 200,000 miles on it. It was falling apart. It was in really poor shape. The kind of thing that when you roll up, like you're embarrassed for the people who know you, you know, kind of deal. And so it was time. And, and I did a bunch of research. And we went to a, a lot of dealerships, seven or eight dealership. And I test drove a bunch of cars because I was looking for the perfect one. Because the truck that I wanted was actually the best-selling car in all of America for a few years in a row. There are millions of them on the road. And so I wanted one that just felt a little bit, unique among things that are not unique. And, and uh, I figured out this great strategy when I finally found the one that I wanted. You know, you got to purchase it because then it's deal time. Then it's on, you know. Then it's like, who's going to win, salesman or me? And so I brought my kids. That, that was my strategy. And I put them in the little waiting room and I would negotiate and I would, they would say, this is what the price is offering. I'm like, no, no, no. This is the price that, price that I'm offering. And they're like, we can't do that. And uh, so a few times back and forth, you know, he'd go and talk to his manager. I'd get the kids. I'd be like, come on, let's go. And uh, I'd start walking out of the building with the kids. And, and he'd run out and be like, where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going? I'm like, oh, they're, they're having a real hard time. They're not behaving. I just need to get them out of here. And uh, they're like, no, no, don't leave. Don't leave. Let me, let me see what I can do. And so three times I did that. Ended up getting the price that I wanted. The, the, the general manager of the used car dealership came out and shook my hand. I felt like that was a badge of honor. Um, <laughs> So I got this truck that I love. It's perfect. It's four by four, not because I need it, but just because you know, Texan, you know. And I just felt like Texas, the Texas thing to do. And so a couple of days after I have this new car, new truck, I've been I cleaned it. It's spotless. It smells like leather on the inside. I mean, it's perfect. I'm go to have breakfast with somebody, and I come out of the restaurant after breakfast is over, and there in the parking spot, exactly next to me, is my exact truck, same year, same color, same body style same package everything only it sets up about six feet higher than mine (laughs) my amazing truck looked like a scooter compared to this one and and i'm like oh man you know and and then you have to retrain your mind to like what it is that you loved before this is what comparison does doesn't it it convinces us that what we loved we shouldn't even like anymore comparison is a thief and there's always a fall with comparison there's always a fall after you compare yourself to somebody else you either compare yourself and you lose the comparison you don't measure up you don't have what they have what you have is not as good as what they have and you fall then or you win the comparison your stuff is better you are better you are greater And then the Bible comes in. Don't you hate when the Bible comes in and brings some truth that you're not really interested in hearing in the moment? Like Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, when it says, pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so when you compare, you are going to fall. You either fall now because you'll lose the comparison or you will fall later when your pride sets a trap for you. And comparison is is also driving us crazy. One of the synonyms for Comparison is connection, which is what happens when you compare yourself to somebody, especially when you compare yourself over and over again to the same person. You end up making a connection between your life and their life, and everything that you do, you end up connecting to what they do. Your vacation is connected to their vacation. Your truck is connected to their truck. Your kids are connected to their kids because you're just so comparing yourself so often And think about how many people we compare ourselves with. So if every comparison is a connection, it's no wonder that we feel torn apart. Because we're pulled in all these different directions based on all the connections and comparisons that we've made. And it's our natural instinct though, isn't it? If I tell you today, if the application today is stop comparing yourself, you would be like, yeah, right. I mean, the reality is, is, that we're going to talk about this today, and most of us won't make it to the parking lot before we compare ourselves to somebody. It's just a natural instinct. So are we hopeless? Are we just supposed to be resigned to it? Because it is stealing from us on a daily basis. Well, thankfully, Jesus' words gives us some way to fight it. In John chapter 21 Look at what Jesus says in verse 22. If if it is my will that he remain until I come, look at these words. What is that to you? You follow me. Jesus says to Peter, when Peter goes, well, what about him? Jesus says, what is that to you? What is any of that your business? Now on the surface, if you've read the Gospels, you would think, well, that's a pretty relevant question. I mean of the disciples of the 12 disciples there were 3 that were the closest to Jesus. Peter, who's in the story, James, who's not in the story, and John, who is in the story. They were the three amigos. For whatever reason Jesus singled them out and they got to do some things that not the, the other disciples didn't get to do. They got to go up on top of the mountain and see Jesus transfigured, transformed into his heavenly state there appearing with the prophet Moses and the prophet Elijah. They got to go into this inner room where Jesus uh, raises a young girl from the dead. In the Garden of Gethsemane, it was those three, Peter, James, and John, that went a little bit further with Jesus. And Jesus said, will you please stand with me and pray? And fight with me. And so it seems like a relevant question. Well, what about John? Because it's been Peter, James, and John. I mean, if it had been Bartholomew kind of falling behind, maybe Peter didn't care. You know, poor Bartholomew, he doesn't get any disciple love. You know, most of us didn't even know that he was a disciple, you know. But this is John. This is Peter, James, and John. It just seemed natural for him to go, what about him? You know, I think comparison is most vicious among our peers, among those who we are closest to. I think it was no accident that Peter said, well, what about him? Because it was John. I want to show you another place that Jesus talks about the destructive, destructive nature of comparison. Matthew chapter 20. Jesus tells a parable. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarii a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, a, a denarii, uh, it was one day's wage. This was the accepted day's wage. Now, maybe you get paid a little bit more than this. Maybe you get paid a little less, but this was just the accepted wage. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarii a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And after going about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. So They went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour he did the same, and about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And then the evening came. So what has happened is this, this master of the vineyard, he goes into the, the town square, and he hires some hires some day laborers to come and work in his vineyard. And he makes a commitment to them. I'm going to give you a denarii a day. That's the proper day's wage. They agree on it. And they go and work. Well, a couple of hours later at, the, at, the nine, at 9 a.m., he comes back into the marketplace. So these other guys have been working for a couple hours. And he finds some other guys. And he says, why don't you go and work in the vineyard too? And then he comes three hours later at noon. And then three hours later at 3. And then two hours later at 5 o'clock. And each time he finds people who need jobs. And he sends them out into his vineyard, and then the evening came, and the evening is about six six p.m. And the owner of the vineyard said to the, his foreman, "Call the laborers and pay them their wages, and beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour uh, came, let's um, see, came, and each of them received a denarii. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denary. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, am I doing you? I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarii? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Uh, Another translation says, Are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now you understand why these workers are upset. Because one set of workers worked one hour and they got the same as the guys in the beginning. But this is what comparison does comparison makes goodness seem malicious. I mean, you think about it the master of the vineyard did nothing wrong, he made an agreement with those men, they were in the marketplace. I mean, they were just standing there idle. So it was out of his good nature and his work that needed to be done that he hired them in the morning in the first place and he delivered to them exactly what he said he delivered it would deliver. It was only when they compared that suddenly the master's goodness seemed harmful to them. See, this has been our temptation from the beginning, from Eve, that what God has done that is good for us we would consider malicious, malicious that we would think that God is holding out on us. I mean, this is Satan's temptation to Eve. You know, God doesn't want you to eat the fruit because he knows. God knows if you eat the fruit, you'll know everything that he knows and you'll be like him. And you will be God. And she thinks that God is holding out on her. And when we think that God is holding out on us, when we think that God is withholding from us, we make very poor decisions. We react poorly when we think that someone, especially God, is holding out on us. It's like when I take our kids to a restaurant. You know, sometimes the restaurant will have video games or some kind of little machines where they can get toys. And that's a blessing and a curse. The blessing is, is that you can send your kids in there and you can pick them up when you're done. You know, like you don't see them for an hour. You just assume everything is well in the little arcade. Uh, That's a positive, so you can have some adult conversation. The negative is, is that those machines cost a lot of money. And so we When We know that we're going to a restaurant like that. We tell the kids before we get out of the car, here's the deal. We're going to give you a little budget. Uh, You each get two quarters. Now, we don't care how you spend the quarters. You can play the video game. You can put it in the little machine, get you a plastic spider ring. It doesn't matter to us. What matters is that you're getting two quarters and two quarters only. And after that, it's all over. Now, you would think... In wisdom, that they would wait until the, the dinner gets really, really boring and then they would go and spend their money. But no, we walk into it whoosh, right there, and within 30 seconds, both quarters are gone. Now, Annabeth, uh, she's our younger one. She's five years old. She's pretty content and she understood the deal. But Jackson's going to be super successful uh, with his life because he doesn't take no for an answer. Uh, He's an incredible deal maker. Uh, So when his quarters run out, which they do very quickly, uh, he knows that he can't come over and ask for more quarters. He's tried that a few times and it's ended up with some pretty severe consequences. So he because he's not taking no for an answer, he does this thing where I'll be sitting there and I'll be talking to Amanda or friends or whoever's with us. And all of a sudden I will feel this presence right next to me. <laughs> but I've been a dad for a while and so I'm good at ignoring my children. <laughs> and so he'll just stand there and, and just stare at the side of my face. And what he's doing is through osmosis, he's, he's communicating telepathically I want more quarters, but he's doing it in a way where he can't technically get in trouble because he's not asking for any more quarters. And again, because I'm a good father and I'm good at ignoring my children, if I ignore him long enough, he'll get a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer. So eventually you come into the restaurant and you can see a tiny little eight-year-old boy staring lovingly and longingly at his father with his face pressed up against mine ask him. Of course, so eventually, you know, he he gets in a little bit of trouble for that because that's technically the same thing. And it wouldn't matter if we said to him when we got out of the car, hey kids, here's what's going to happen. We're going to give you two quarters each. You're going to spend them in 30 seconds and then you're going to want more. You're not going to ask for more because you know it's against the rules. So you're going to ask for more without asking for more and you're still going to get in trouble. Let's not do that. But it wouldn't work, would it? No, it wouldn't work because he knows that I have more money in my pocket. And so he knows that I'm holding out on him. And anytime we think somebody is holding out on us, we react poorly. So most of us have raged at God at one time or another because we have treated his goodness as if it's been harm to us because by comparison, we think he's holding out on us. And it's easy to feel that way, isn't it? Thanks to social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Everyone's life looks wonderful except yours. I mean, in 140 characters, you can't fully explain what kind of frustrations you're having in your marriage. With 140 characters, you can't adequately communicate how difficult your job is. With 140 characters, you can't talk about the deep disappointment that you've experienced. With Instagram, we take pictures, and in that picture, everything looks perfect. I mean, even if you're taking a picture of, like, your dirty laundry, you can put a filter on it, and somehow it looks romantic. You know, like, oh, look at her. Even her laundry, you know, looks like rainbows and unicorns. You know, it does us no favors. And so what happens is that we lo- it, it looks like everybody else is living the life that we want. And for some reason that God is, is holding out on us. And Instagram, it, it even gives you these filters so that you can make your, your life look like an antique, or you can make your life look like it's from the 1970s with a Polaroid picture, or you can make your life look any way that you want it by applying these filters so that your picture looks so amazing. Well, that's exactly what our flesh and our insecurity does when we compare ourselves. puts a filter on the person that we're comparing so that their life looks perfect. Their life looks amazing. Their life looks like everything that you want, and your life gets no filter. Your life gets the no makeup and up close from the side shot. (laughs) And you know, it's just not true. You know when you reason with yourself that their life is not like that all the time. I remember when our kids were very, very young, we were having a very frustrating parenting moment. We were frustrated with ourselves, and it just we were just worn out. And we were on our way to church. This is long before we started Bayou City, and we got to church. We're sitting at a table with with people that it would be easy to pretend that their life is perfect, just wonderful, put together, just living the dream. And and I don't remember who broke the ice around that circle, but somebody was like, we're having a real hard time parenting right now. And it was like, amen, 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 amen. And then we just started sharing stories and it was like, oh, thank you, God, that we are not the only ones. And we know that when we really think about it, but in that moment of comparison, a filter gets laid on their lives and it's like they, their lives are better, stronger, happier, richer. And what God has done for us that is good we treat as bad because we compare. But I want you to know today that you are rich in some way. You may not be rich in money. You may be rich in friendship. You may be rich in faith. You may be rich in joy. You may be rich in family. You may be rich in opportunity. You may be rich in freedom. And I want you to know, and I think I can say this with authority, there is somebody in this world who looks at your life or a part of your life and is envious. It's not just you looking to other people because they have what is good and you have what is bad. Somebody is looking at your life and calling it good. It's just not you right now. The young often wish they were older and the old always wish that they were younger. The singles sometimes look at married people and say, I wish I had that life. And sometimes married people are envious of the simplicity that single people can have. Those who don't have kids feel a sting when they look at families. And sometimes families look at those without kids and they wish that they had the freedom of that season again. Sometimes those who have trade, trade jobs looked at, look at those who are executives and say, I wish I had their authority. And sometimes executives look at those with trade jobs and say, I wish I had their skills. You're rich in some way. So don't let comparison steal what God has done for you that is good. And look what Jesus says, turning back to John chapter 21. He says, what is that to you? What is that Instagram to you? What is that tweet to you? What is that Facebook post to you? And then he says to Peter, you follow me. You follow me. And look, it's exclamation mark. You follow me, exclamation mark. So as Jesus is standing on the the shore of the Sea of Galilee with Peter and he's saying, you follow me. He's not like, hey, follow me. Or it'd be cool if you follow me. He's saying, you follow me with authority, exclamation mark. And Peter needs this authority because he's comparing John's path with his path. And listen, Peter's path is terrible. Peter's path is awful. One day they're gonna dress you in a way that you don't wanna dress. And one day they're gonna stretch your arms out in a way that they don't want, you don't want them to. And one day they're gonna lead you where you don't wanna go. And Peter's like, well, what about him? And Jesus says, you follow me! Exclamation mark. This is the word today. It's not stop comparing yourself. It's, in, it's instead of comparing yourself, you follow Jesus. This is ultimately what life boils down to. You follow me. There's no room for anyone else in that equation. You follow Jesus. No third party getting there in there to interrupt that. No, nothing that anybody else has can affect that. You follow Jesus. You know, most of us are exhausted. We're just not physically exhausted, but just emotionally exhausted, spiritually exhausted, just worn out. You ever feel that way? It's kind of like I have energy to do what I need to do today, but just, I just feel exhausted. I feel torn, I feel worn down and and you feel that way too. And I was thinking, why why do I feel like that? Why do we feel like that? Why do people in general feel like that? And and you don't have to wear this. I, I just think for me, sometimes I feel exhausted because not only am I carrying my life, the things that I have to deal with and, and the things that I toil and struggle with, I'm also carrying all the lives that I wish I had. You know, not only am I dealing with the difficulty and the strain of today, I'm, I'm grieving that I am not living somebody else's Instagrammed life. You know, and that's exhausting because God has only given you enough resources to live your life he's not giving you abundant resources to consistently carry the life that you wished you had through comparison. I remember when I was 22, there was this job that came open and I really wanted it. I mean, these people didn't even know I existed, but I was convinced that God was going to give this, this job to me. And I was praying. And in fact, I had to throw that journal away because I, like, I was embarrassed by how boldly I was praying because it was insanity because like, I never sent my resume in. So it was like, I just expected God to like float down my name into these people's minds. And it'd be like, oh my gosh, I think there's somebody named Curtis Jones in the world. And and then, oh my gosh, his email address is this. And and he would be perfect at this, you know? And this is his job. I mean, it was just insanity, but I just really believed that I was gonna get it. Well, no shocker to anybody, I didn't get it. Somebody else did though. And then I got a job that was really similar, just not as good. So not only then did for months, uh, did I have to deal with my life and my job I was always thinking about this other guy's job the job that I really wanted I was always comparing I wonder if I would have done as good a job as he did on that thing I wonder if if I would have affected as many people as he's affecting so not only am I doing my job and living my life I'm also vicariously living his life and listen if you've been doing that through comparison I'm just telling you you're going to burn out And you're going to be exhausted because God does not want to give you the resources to do that because that's not what he's asking you to do. Comparison is taking a toll on us that we don't realize and Jesus is simplifying it for us today. You follow me. Galatians chapter six, verse four. This is what it says. But let each one test his own work And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. What it's saying is, is don't worry about comparing yourself to your neighbor, comparing yourself to someone else. Let what you do be its own reward. Take pride in in what it is that you do. Test your work. Steward what it is that God has given you. Make the most of what you've been given. I I think many of us, we want an overachiever lifestyle with underachiever work ethic. We want that life that someone else has. We want that thing that someone else has, but we're not willing to even work hard and make the most of what we've been given. What we want is we want to be rescued from what we've been given and delivered to what somebody else has been given. But that's not what God is going to do. He's laid out a path in front of you and he's laid out a different path in front of that other person. Are you making the most of the path that he's laid out in front of you? Listen, some of you are having struggles in your marriage. You've hit roadblocks that are unimaginable. You didn't foresee those roadblocks when you stood at the altar and said, I do, and I do. And I don't know why those roadblocks happened. I don't know whose fault it was, but can you let your own work be tested? Men, it may not be your fault that these roadblocks have happened, but can you test your own work? Are you being the best husband that you can be even in the midst of that roadblock? Ladies, it may not be your fault that that obstacles come in your marriage, but can you test your own work? Are you being the best wife that you can be? You're like, well, I'm being a better wife than he is being a a, a husband. You probably are. (laughs) Nobody's arguing with you. But that's what Galatians chapter six, verse four is telling us not to do. Let your own work be tested. Can you be proud of it just based on what you've done without comparing it to what someone else has done? You're frustrated with this season of work because it's not your dream job. I get it. I don't know why it's not your dream job. And I'm sorry, But can your work be tested? Are you being the best worker that you can be right now without comparing it to anybody else or comparing it to how you would work if you got that dream job? You're single and you wish that you were married. I don't know why. You seem awesome to me. But are you making the most of your singleness? You're married but you don't have kids yet. And you want those and there's a sting in your heart every time you see a little baby. I don't know why that has happened and, and I'm really sorry. But can your work be tested in this season? Are you making the most of this path that God is asking you to walk? Because that's what he's saying to Peter. Peter, don't worry about any other path. Don't worry about John's path and don't worry about Bartholomew's path. and Don't worry about the other Simon's path and don't worry about Matthew's path. You Follow me. And that's exactly what Peter does. It's what Peter and John both do. They step out off the seashore of Galilee and they head back into Jerusalem, and the Spirit of God lands on them like crazy. And the whole city takes notice, and Peter steps up and he follows Jesus and he lets his own work be tested by preaching one of the most amazing messages on earth. And thousands of people are saved that very first time that anybody preached the gospel besides Jesus. And then they start planting these churches and it just spreads and spreads and spreads and, and here we are living off the faithfulness of Peter but Jesus was right there there came a day when Peter well somebody led him in a way that he didn't want to go and somebody dressed him in something that he didn't want to wear and somebody stretched out his arms in a way that he didn't want his arms stretched out and tradition and history tells us that uh, towards the end of Peter's life he was arrested and and then he was sentenced to be crucified. And when they came to the moment to put him on the cross so that he could glorify God in his death the way that Jesus glorified God with his death, Peter was like, no, 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 no. no, This is the way that Jesus died. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of that honor. So they flipped him upside down and he was crucified like that. John's life ended a little bit differently, but it was still hard. His path was not easy. And he went out and he was a great pastor, wrote a few of our New Testament books. And eventually he was put in prison because of his faith. It wasn't a prison cell, it was a prison island. And there on the prison island, on a Sunday, just like, Today, he was filled with the spirit. He was thinking about the word of God and he was in tune with the spirit of God and he was praying and all of a sudden he gets this vision, this incredible vision, which we know as the book of Revelation. And at the end of that vision, at the end of the book of Revelation, John sees the city of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, this holy city, this heavenly city coming down. And what he sees in the walls around this city, the Bible says, are the names of the apostles etched into it. So as John is seeing this holy city, he can see his own name written into the walls. And Peter, after he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus, flipped me upside down. After he died a death that glorified God, he walked into that holy city. And as he walked through the gates, he could see his own name in the foundation. And what I'm telling you right now, what I'm telling you right now is if you follow Jesus, the path may be super hard. And there will be a lot of moments where you look at somebody else's Instagram life and go, why are you withholding that from me? I deserve that. I've been toiling under the sun and the heat. Why don't I have that? And what Jesus will say back to you is just hold on. Just hold on. I'm telling you, there will be a moment because you're not just a citizen of this world. You've got a whole life to come and you're gonna follow him right into that life and that life is good and it's everything you've ever wanted to Instagram. It's got a holy filter on it. A filter without sin, a filter without sickness, a filter without death, a filter without darkness and a filter without pain. This season, we don't get a filter like that. We just get the path that's laid out in front of us. And you're gonna look at somebody today and go, oh man, I I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. And hear the words of Jesus. When you say, what about them? He says, what about you? You follow me. So Jesus, we we agree with that today. We agree with that. You sever, sever today the connections of comparisons that we have made with hundreds and thousands of people. And you return to us a, a sufficiency and joy of following you. We follow you for God's glory, for our good in this life and in the life to come. We say, Amen. Once you stand to your feet. We're going to finish our services the way that we do every week. Just a time of ministry and prayer. And so our prayer team is going to come and take their places. If you're sick, we follow Jesus and Jesus healed the sick. So come and pray. If you're burdened, we follow Jesus. And Jesus said, come to me, all who are burdened and heavy laden. So come and pray. And if, if, if you, like me, are just living a lifestyle of comparison, it's like you can't help it. It's just what you do. It's most of your life. And you feel like, man, I am so connected to so many people, and I can't imagine my life without comparison. And you need to be set free from other people today, from other people's expectations, from other people's lives that we wish that we had We follow Jesus and Jesus says, what is that to you? You follow me. And so if you have some people-pleasing, envious connections that you've made just like I have and you are tired of carrying that burden, come and pray today. I believe some of those connections can be broken in the power of Jesus' name. And we can leave with the joy of following Jesus maybe that we've never experienced.